Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, the show about fish, fishing and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your best friend. And I couldn't be more happy to be here. And I'm really excited tonight because we are joined by our old friend, Fish Guy Josh, who we haven't heard from in a long time. We thought he was dead, but he's back. Josh, how are you? Hello, hello. I am doing pretty darn good, despite everything going on in, in the world. I know the whole world's crazy, but you're still with us, and we're happy to have you. For people who don't know... Uh, Fish Guy Josh, you used to be in California, and you were part of the F and West. Longtime listeners will remember you from the F and West, which is uh, the band broke up, and uh, <laughs> we used to produce segments for us <laughs> with the amazing James before you killed him. And then uh, you're now you're living where? Uh, I'm still in California. You're still in. You threw James out. Stayed though. around. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, after after that. They probably heard me do maybe Fish Guy Follows mm-hmm. or Fish of the Day with Doc Martin or uh, Fish Guy Meets Fish Guy interviews. Yeah, exactly. I mean, by the way, we really missed the Fish of the Day segment. That was great. Um, but we got Fish Guy Follows, which we'll be doing tonight. And that's where you tell people where they can uh, who they can follow on Instagram or the Twitters or the Facebooks. And um, are you doing Parlor yet? Uh, just starting it. Yeah. Yeah, you go there if you want to follow like right wing conspiracies. That's a good place to be. <laughs> Are there like fishy right wing conspiracies over there? There's, um, it's still pretty new. Mm-hmm. So sort of the 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 extension of like kind of just normal content is is growing, but still mm-hmm. needs to get there. So like some some um, some fishing and hunting stuffs getting on there now trying to push like more of a, a general, you know, making it a general social media platform. Yeah. That makes it more fun. I, I signed up, but I went there once and I ran away because I was going down conspiracy theory uh, uh, rabbit holes and I had to get out. Yeah. It's definitely still in the, the early stages of general content. Well, we'll see how it does. <laughs> yeah, We'll see how it goes. So today on the podcast, you're here. We're going to talk about where you've been, some stuff that's been happening we're going to talk about early ice fishing. What do you do early season for ice fishing? We're going to talk about, remind people about the Fish Nerds Book Club coming up. We're going to do a Fish Guy Follows. We're going to do some news and uh, see where this, this, uh, this ride takes us. So we'll start with you. Fish Guy Josh, where have you been? We missed you. Where have I been? Uh, well, I haven't really left, but I've definitely been busy. Um, I had a knee injury pre-COVID surgery. Congratulations. Took a while. I made a brief comeback, but that was before the birth of um, my wife and I's first kid. Fish Guy Jr. Fish Guy Jr. Yep. And uh, that's been a ride in and amongst itself. Well, I mean, yeah, because as a parent, <laughs> I get it. And that takes up all your time, especially when they're little. Yeah, definitely. So that that took up a lot of my free time. And um, fish-wise, you know, that, that took up a lot of fishing time as well. But once the pandemic hit, I lost a lot of my supporting staff as far as the aquariums and, and the program that I do here at the park. So everything sort of fell on me. So I've been keeping it pretty fishy the last uh, year and a half, two years, but 
it's definitely meant a little less appearances on the fish nerds and um, a pretty busy schedule for me. Yeah. And, and you're okay with coronavirus. You, have you had it yet? I have not. Well, congratulations. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I'm actually getting a test on Friday. I, I was exposed two days ago. So, oh, okay. Yep. And I'm not, they told me I can't test till Friday, so I have to wait. It was, mm-hmm. uh, it was my tenant. I was over there. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about selling one of my houses. And I was over there showing a, a, a reel to the place. And the tenant came out of her bedroom, said hi, and walked past me. And the next day, she called me up and said, oh, by the way, I had COVID. so hopefully i didn't get it it was brief interaction and i was wearing a mask uh so hopefully hopefully we're okay it was like 15 seconds of interaction yeah so sounds like you're still in the the window of safety there based on what i've been reading and researching but oh yeah i mean but there's always that chance you know because it's it's, they describe the virus as like a keyhole virus has to hit the just right to get mm-hmm. in here. and that's yep. why the longer time you spend with that virus the more likely you are to get it because you can get bombarded with it until it finally gets in that keyhole but the more times that key's jamming in around that hole <laughs> exactly exactly so but it could happen the first time it just it ha- i know people yeah. who've been extremely careful have barely left their house and then that one time they went out they got it you know yeah. so it happens so hopefully i'll be okay uh, my doctor's worried because i only have one lung so they think that I'm, I'd be a high risk person. Yeah, <laughs> if I, got I know it. that's been definitely one of your concerns for a while there. Yeah, so I'm, I've been I've been avoiding everything, and the job at the radio station has been great for me because I have my own studio and no one goes in there, and you know it's pretty locked down, which is great. Yeah. So anyway, you're back, fish guy, and you. And one of your favorite things to do is you. You're a carp fisher. Yes. Yeah, I want to talk about. I think, it's not my notes, but I want to talk about carp fishing because. If you, if you look at all the catalogs for carp fishing, it looks more like carp camping. People have these tents they put up and mm-hmm. timers and buzzers and all this stuff. And, and my experience with carp fishing is I don't do any of that. I go down, I put a piece of dough on a hook, I throw it in the water, catch a carp, I go home. What is, what is your carp fishing like? So I definitely lean toward the route of you know, the overnight camping, a lot of the stuff you're seeing in the catalogs. And it didn't start that way, but that's that's kind of what it's evolved to for me. And the big difference is that's a focus on what they call specimen carp fishing. Okay. What's that so mean? The, the idea there is the camping and the buzzers and, and the long-term sessions are all focused on not a lot of fish, but big fish. Oh, so you're waiting for the quality fish. So, yeah. So this is like, that's more the approach of going for the trophy carp, um, trying to scout out. And there's a lot too. There's a lot of, a lot of pre-scouting, uh, depending on your state, pre-baiting. Mm-hmm, chumming. Basically trying to ambush those trophy carp versus, you know, quantity. It's quality over quantity. And, and I, every now and then I do have a few setups where, I'll go, there's a pond that, that's really good for surface fishing, which is really fun for carp because it's just a hook, a line, and some bread. And, you know, that's when you get into like the, the, the pretty, pretty large number of fish caught. And those are really fun days too, but sometimes it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a challenge. It's like a problem-solving type of fishing to do these trophy carp fishing. Well, give me, give me an example of the setup you'd use for a trophy carp. Well, typically you're doing um, overnights. Mm-hmm. 
uh, are long sessions, but when you do overnights, they, they set up what's called bivvies. Uh, in the U.S., we would just call them tents. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, over there, uh, there's usually... Fancy lads. Yeah. They're, because it's from Europe, they're centered around um, a lot of bad weather. So they're low to the ground, waterproof, but also made to pick up and move if you need to change spots. Um, they use buzzers, which are basically fish alarms. Right. I've and, seen those. I've used those. Yeah. So you I've never have one go off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, you know, some of the buzzers that we see here in the States are a little more low tech. Mm-hmm. And these are usually placed on things they call rod pods, which is like, a, it's a rod stand and it's made to lower your, your rod and reel so that it's, it's parallel to the water surface rather than sticking up mm-hmm. and you usually set up your multiple rods and you set up the buzzers. You leave it on essentially what's a free spool setting or a bait runner setting. And you kind of sit back and, and wait for the carp to come to your bait. And then occasionally, you know, you're rebaiting stuff like that. Um, I use boilies, which are uh, boiled or steamed dough balls specific for carp. But depending on the water you're in, sometimes you can use particles like corn or what they call tiger nuts, things like that. Yep. So it's it's a lot of a lot of bait, a lot of different massive uh, bait piles or bait particles, and a lot of sitting and waiting. Um, it's essentially like fish camping. I'd be game for that. We use uh, for our fish alarms before I had before I got to use an electronic one is we would set everything up, but we'd take two Y-shaped sticks, put them in the mud, lay the rod across that with an open bale, uh, dough ball on the hook, no weight of any kind. And we would take a, an old beer can we found on the shoreline, fill it with rocks, <laughs> and we'd hook that on the line. And when the line started spooling off, the can would fall over. That was our alarm. Yeah, I when I first got into carp fishing, I was actually very primitive by by those you know, those overnight session standards. But um, fortunately, I met a good friend who's originally from Hungary and he's, you know, he lives and breathes specimen carp fishing. And so what was fun for me was rather than just drop a bunch of money on gear, I got to go out with him for a session and then I'd, I'd see the different toys, see what worked, see what didn't work, see what I thought I, I might find helpful to me. So even though I have put in a significant amount of money into my carp fishing gear, um, luckily I've been able to do it efficiently, I think. So there's a lot of fun stuff out there, but there's a lot of stuff where I'm like, man, I just don't need that. That's perfect. Well, I, I, haven't, I haven't caught a carp in a few years, and I'm anxious to get down and get one. I heard la- a few years ago in Massachusetts, somebody caught a state record carp while ice fishing. And they hooked it, and it was too big for the ice hole. So they had to reach down the <laughs> hole, hold the carp by its gills, while someone went and got a chainsaw and cut a giant circle in the ice wow. so they can get this thing out. <laughs> but he got the state <laughs> record that way. <laughs> That's the devotion to that record right there. It, you know, people love trophy fishing, and we're going to talk about that in the news in a little bit. But um, it's, people really get into it. I'm, I'm not a huge trophy person, but people love it. So I guess that's their thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I do want to talk a little bit about ice fishing. We're about you don't ice fish in California. I have never ice fished in my entire life. Most of my ice fishing knowledge comes from listening to the Fish Nerds podcast. Well, I'm sorry, but 
<laughs> well, I, but I, I do, I do, we, we are a fishing podcast, but I don't usually do fishing shows like how to fish and all that. So today we're doing a little bit of that with the carp talk we just did. And we're going to talk about early season brook trout fishing through the ice, which is starting up probably in about two days. And we're super excited about it. Do you have brook trout in California? Um, if we do, it's pretty isolated and they were, you know, obviously not from here. Right. I think there might be a few spots where there are brook trout, but nothing where we are. We have uh, some salmon and native rain, and one of the only places where there's actually native rainbow trout. Right. I mean, I we I call rainbow trout up here California trout because back in the 1890s they put them on trains in California and they mm-hmm. trained them. They trained them. They <laughs> they drove them in trains from California to New Hampshire and dumped them in our lakes and streams up here. So all of our strains up here are California rainbows. And, Which is hilarious because they, they did the opposite with like bass and stuff and train right. them out to California. <laughs> well, we, we had no bass up here though either. Our bass are train are from trains from you know Arkansas and stuff like that. So, yeah. So we had because we have New Hampshire. You've been up here to New Hampshire for the uh, the at Nanfa conference. Oh yeah, loved and, it up there. And as you know, we've got very few fish, uh, native <laughs> native species. Yeah. Of fish. <laughs> <laughs> there so, was a short list. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 short, but it's hard to get them all. Um, yeah. It's really challenging, but uh, it's a short list. And that's because when the glaciers came through, they kind of wrecked everything as what glaciers do. So, you know, not a lot of native species up here. So we had to import most of our fish. Uh, but one of our native fishes, it's a char. It's the native brook trout, which we're very proud of there. We, you know, we're so proud. It's our state fish. And we're the only Beautiful state. Fish. Yeah, we're the only state that has it as a state fish. Well, us in nine other states. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We couldn't be more unique, um, but uh, but early season brook trout fishing is is my very favorite kind of ice fishing right now. Last few years, and the reason I like it is because the state of New Hampshire takes the broodstock uh, broodstock brook trout, which are the four year old brook trout that have been the, like the grandparent fish, the main breeders in their tanks, and they dump them in a few select ponds and lakes in the state, and they dump them in in November, right before the ice freezes. And these fish are like cows. They're huge. They swim around in schools, which brook trout don't usually do. And they chase small fish into really shallow water, which is why we target them in early season. Because we'll go out on the ice when the ice is only two inches thick. And I don't know if you know what, what safe ice is, but safe ice is four inches. Yeah, but say it's not two inches thick. I know that. Two. No, two is spooky. <laughs> two, you will fall through at some point. Uh, but the good news is we're fishing in water that's one foot deep. So mm-hmm. when you fall through, you just step back on the ice and keep fishing. You don't even go <laughs> past your boot usually, which is nice. Um, but the way the, the technique for this, a lot of a lot of like traditional fishermen and women will set fish traps up on the ice. So they'll, they'll drill a bunch of holes. They'll set the traps up. They'll bait them with minnows or worms. They'll sit in a chair. They'll drink beer and they'll wait for the fish to come. But if you want to catch a lot of brook trout, that's a boring way to do it. You also kill most of the fish you catch that way because you gut hook them all uh, and you don't catch that many. And so the, mm. the, the better way to do it, which I think, is you drill a bunch of holes and you get your little fishing rod and a tiny tungsten jig with a hot pink trailer. Anything that's hot pink will work. And you walk, hold a hole and you jig around each hole for five minutes and you wait for the fish. And what will happen is those schools of brook trout will come in chasing your bait and you get two or three of these like you know, they're like 14 to 18 inches long fish chasing your bait and you're sight fishing because you're only a foot deep of water and you can see them in the holes chasing your bait. 
And if you play keep away for a few seconds, don't catch the first fish you see, the, the trophy fish will come in and you can catch those. <laughs> you can selectively catch them. It's amazing. It's so much fun. And do you keep these because they're hatchery fish? Or do you let them go? I let them go because I like to catch them over and over again. These guys are bruisers. They can handle the catch and release. Um, and I've caught the same fish a few times in a row. But this year I am going to keep one because I haven't eaten a brook trout in a couple of years and I want to do a cedar plank brook trout recipe. I want to do a, a fishing topic. So I want to do that. So I will keep the first one I catch this year. Uh, in New Hampshire, the legal limit through the ice is two fish or five pounds. Hmm. So if you get one five pounder, you're done. Uh, in, the, in the summer, it's five fish or five pounds, uh, although most fishers don't read the rules and they keep five fish every time, no matter what. And so yeah. it gets fished out pretty quickly. The spot we go, um, the lake in about a week's time will look like Swiss cheese covered in blood. There's <laughs> blood everywhere. There's <laughs> all those trap fishermen. So, but that's how I like to fish for, for late, early season brook trout. And last year, for the first time, we went out late season in the same spot thinking we wouldn't have a chance at these brook trout. And it's the same technique worked. Only you have two inches of ice, you're on 12 inches of ice. But it still worked. <laughs> so I guess it works all the time. Now, is this a, a mix of native and hatchery, mostly hatchery? or yeah, This is all hatchery. These, all are, hatchery. these are the broodstock. These are the big. So like a native brook trout in New Hampshire, if you, they get to eight inches, that's a pretty good brook trout. Yeah. But the, they, the ones from the hatchery that they're either eating like cows or pellet fed, you know, they're mm-hmm. grain fed. And they are the bruisers. Those are 14 to 18 inches. Those are monsters. So that's, that's the difference. Like there. the rainbow trout here. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, when, and we'll catch rainbows in the same technique, by the way, in different lakes. Because rainbows love shallow water too, you know, under the yeah. ice. In fact, but with rainbows, I can jig anywhere in a lake directly under the ice and pick up rainbow trout. Because they'll swim, they'll swim under the ice with their dorsal fin touching the ice. And they'll cruise the whole lake, just touching the surface of the water. And if you jig right below the ice, eventually they'll come around and grab whatever bait you're jigging right there. Do they do the, uh, the special, special coloration rainbows or brooks over there? I know over here we have something called lightning trout, which is kind of like an albino, but it's still just a hatchery rainbow trout. No, I wish we did. I wish we did. <laughs> nothing, nothing that exciting. Although the, the brook trout, the, the male spawning colors are pretty remarkable. Yeah. You know, but no, nothing like that. Just yeah, ours, ours are kind of silly, but I like having them in our mobile aquarium. They do, they do look really cool. I, I will admit they are, they are striking, but it's still just a, a big, dumb hatchery rainbow trout. <laughs> yeah, and I'm happy to catch them. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of fun. Anyway, so that's my early... Uh, early season thing. And you put some notes up on here and you said you read that, that ice fishermen are the majority of uh, fishing injuries. Yeah. It was funny when I, when I saw that that was what you were uh, discussing today. I just happened to get a new issue of in fishermen that I get here at work. It's one of the last few fishing magazines still. It's out. a good, it's a good magazine. Yeah. And uh, it came in and I was just flipping through it, reading your show notes. And then I looked down and it, it was an article about how I think it said something like 80% of reported fishing injuries are from ice fishermen. <laughs> I believe it. I didn't know. Did it describe the injuries? It, it did categorize them into different things. And I think most of them were like slip and fall and bruises and stuff like that. Yeah. I imagine that's the majority of them. Yeah. I, I used to, when I first started ice fishing, I didn't know the fishing was a thing you did on the ice. I thought it was about drinking near holes in the ice. And so I used to get hurt a lot. I don't drink on the ice much anymore, but, but I, I think a lot of people 
blue ice fish also drink heavily while they're on the ice, and that might contribute to it. Also, uh, it used to be common to you, the, the augers people drilled holes with were gas augers, and they used to have auger rodeos, and they would drill them halfway in the ice, and they would climb on top of them and turn them on. So then the blade wasn't turning anymore, but the power head would turn, and they would spin around with people on top, and they would fly off onto the ice. So, yeah, there's a lot of ways to get hurt ice fishing. <laughs> <laughs> Those are all loose definitions of fishing at that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fishing is a loose word. I wouldn't. <laughs> the actual auger writing is more like it sounds. Well, you know, again, these the people who are doing that are not fishing with fishing rods; they're fishing with traps, which means mm. they're not catching fish. They're hanging around and waiting for fish. So it's, yeah, it's a different game. I mean, they're catching fish, but they're, <laughs> it's, it's not as active. So it requires a lot more stuff to keep you occupied. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So that's my ice fishing. Show. See, I did it. I did fishing tips segment. I don't usually, <laughs> I, I almost never do that. <laughs> I'm pretty, pretty happy with myself. All right. I, I want to remind listeners that we are doing the book club this month for December. It's a feather thief. So if you haven't got your copy yet, get on it. We're going to be probably discussing that the first week of January, the feather thief. Have you, have you read that, Josh? I have not read that one. No, it's, it's about, um, I haven't read it yet. I'm starting it now, but it's, if you like taxonomy and you like, Darwin, you're going to love this book. So it's about a guy who stole feathers from museums, from rare or extinct birds to sell in the black market. And anyway, I haven't got that far, so I think that's what it's about. <laughs> but so far, the, the beginning of the book is all about Charles Darwin and other explorers who are collecting birds and how that worked. So it's, yeah. building, it's building me up to this. So, so far, so good. So we'll be discussing Sounds that. interesting. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. All right, we're going to jump into Fish Guy follows right now. Welcome fellow fish nerds to the latest edition of Fish Guy Follows with me, your host, Fish Guy Josh, where we take a look at some of the fishiest things in social media, including Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you name it, we cover it. So hang on tight while the rest of this song rocks your face off and then sit back and relax. It's time for Fish Guy Follows. Greetings fellow fish nerds, Fish Guy Josh here, back with another edition of Fish Guy Follows. And today is a really cool follow for me because it's someone that I not only think has a really good social media presence, but also is legitimately a good friend of mine in real life. So today we're following my good buddy, Ron Ratliff, particularly on Instagram. Now, Ron's channel currently is titled Ron Ratliff's Marsh Dawn based on his charter company. So that's Ron Ratliff's, all one word, R-O-N-R-A-T. L-I-F-F-S underscore Marshdawn, M-A-R-S-H-D-A-W-N. Ron does a lot of posts, so this is a follow that's going to stay pretty active in your feed, and you're not going to be disappointed because Ron's got some spectacular photos he's always posting on here. Ron basically is a Louisiana native and professional fly fishing guide who takes clients out on the marshes of southern Louisiana where I grew up. Uh, it's particularly cool to see his feed because I've known Ron since high school and it's been great to see his journey to becoming a successful fly fishing guide in his home waters. He's a really great guy. He's the king of sarcasm. So you're not only going to get spectacular photos, but you're going to get some really funny comments as well. 
He's also very conservation conscious. So you're going to get a lot of photos based on that and a lot of photos based on catch and release and being a smart angler and, and being a responsible angler, which is always good to see on any feed. And more importantly, you're going to get some really great shots. Uh, Ron does a lot of uh, redfish, sheephead, and black drum out on the marsh. And he's a pretty good photographer. He takes some great photos of, the sh- of him and his clients. He also goes over some of his cool uh, flies that he's using and some really great just overall landscape shots out on the marsh. You can also follow Ron on some other social media platforms like uh, Facebook and now on Parlor. And on Facebook, he actually has some really cool how to tie a fly videos as well. So kind of a bonus follow there is to check out Ron on both Instagram, but Facebook as well. I don't think you're going to be disappointed, especially if you're into fly fishing. But even if you're not, Ron is a great follow, great friend, a great guy. I wish him the best of luck. If you're ever in South Louisiana and you want to do some epic fly fishing, please look him up. Uh, MarshDawn.com is his charter service. He's excellent. He's really well respected amongst other fly fishing guides and um, all around. Great guy. Great follow. That's Ron Ratliff's Marsh Dawn, R-O-N-R-A-T-L-I-F-F-S underscore Marsh Dawn. And as usual, you can always follow me on all of my social media platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Parler, and of course, Instagram. That's Fish Guy Josh. Thanks, and we'll see you on the next go-round. All right, that was Fish Guy Follows. Thank you, Fish Guy Josh, for teaching us all about Captain Ratliff. Love that guy. Yeah, you do. And I'm um, question about, though, like, so, so you, this segment is something you came up with on your own because you're yeah. a big Instagram guy. What's your, what's your Instagram? Uh, like my account? Yeah. Fish guy, Josh. What's your password? <laughs> <laughs> but, but you love Instagram. You love sharing photos, a lot of carp pictures on yours on that. Um, what, what made you come up with doing this segment? Cause I would never have thought of it to me. It just seems like who cares? You know, I, I had put a lot of effort into, like if you kind of look at my online personas, it's not really me, Josh. It's Fish Guy, Josh. It's it's right. sort of a it's a character, right? And um, that kind of piggybacked on to just the growing participation in the fish nerd. So it kind of just became a thing I was into. And in in the process of doing that, I started networking with a lot of people uh, that were fish related. And at the time uh, when I started making the segment up you know, amazing James and I weren't doing much together audio wise anymore. So I was trying to come up with my own stuff and I had, uh, now would you describe the amazing James as a slacker? Uh, <laughs> he's got a lot of things on his plate. Let's put it yeah. that. Yeah. You're done. And now did you write the music? I, that, that's actually my favorite part is I think part of the reason I came up with the different segments I like to do partially is because my friend Jan back in Louisiana, where I'm from is a musician with a recording studio and he loves just writing music. And I had come up with um, the fish guy meets fish guy tune. And he and I recorded it together. And then he and I kind of came up with the, the fish of the day song Mm -hmm. and this song. Um, This one is the only one that I'm not, singing on in that one um some other friends of mine they were in a punk rock group wanted to do the song so, what's, what's the group's name 
Uh, the morons. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they were really into it after they heard the first two. Mm-hmm. And so my buddy Jan and I, I, I wrote the, the the song, the first two, and then um, Key and I kind of came up with the concept of the Fish Guy Follow song and the morons put it to music. And um, that, that part's really fun. I, I love, that's like one of my favorite things was actually writing the music for those three segments that I do. That's good. I, well, I, I wrote the lyrics for Fish in the News. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the of the three, I think the one I'm most proud of lyrically is the one the fish of the day segment with Doc Martin because it, it has the most lyrics in it. Yeah, but and it's it, really good, and I miss it. So, I, and it's funny because I've been wanting to do Fish of the Day on my own because you and Doc are so busy, but the music set has Doc Martin's name in it. So, like, <laughs> can I use it anyway? I guess I could. <laughs> uh, you could always use it anyway, but I, I'm going to get in touch with Doc. I'm going to see if we can. We already have a fish lined up, and it fell through a few times, so mm-hmm. maybe we can get one going. I uh, thank our listeners, our Patreon supporters. Uh, one of the reasons the show, actually, the only reason I can afford to make the show is because people give us money. Go to patreon.com slash fish nerds and uh, give us a few bucks. We're asking for about $5 a month to be part of the show. Every month I'm doing a drawing too. I'm doing next week. I'll be doing the drawing for this month and I'll be giving away a brand new fish nerds uh, trucker style cap as well as an old fishing book I've got on my desk that I want to get rid of. So that's what you'll get (laughs) by giving $5. And everyone who gives us anything at Patreon will get an email within the month uh, with some ringtones. You get the Fish in the News ringtone or you get the fishy theme uh, ringtone. And I might add yes. in a couple others too. I might turn your fish guy follows into a ringtone and uh, maybe lure love or fishy, sexy music or something like that. So I always <laughs> add more and I'm, I'm getting good at making ringtones. So it's just fun. Nice. Yeah. So patreon.com slash fish nerds. And it keeps this show going. We really appreciate it. We have two donors giving us $25 a month. And if you do that, I'll say your business name on the air. So one of the uh, donors is, um, is Josh Lopes. And you can go to lopestax.com if you want to thank him for a donation. And my friend Beth Met, who does not have a business, gives us $25 a month. But if you say her name in the mirror in the dark five times after midnight, she will haunt you. So you that. <laughs> Beth Met, thank you so much for that donation. We appreciate it. And I got one more promo to run because we are joining a network. We're going to be a network show. So I'm going to play that promo. Okay. Hey, everyone. I love podcasts. Who's got recommendations and said that was quick. Do you like comedy? What about movies? Pop culture? Um, yeah. Do you like animals? What about science? Well, yeah. Do you dig plants? What about writing, snacks, rambling, and rant? Well, I... making improv and interviews, Canadians, Australians, boating forecasts and super views, ladies, gentlemen, credence or comic books, script reads, bad TV, heads that shut, perfectly picked packages popping up, podcasts pointing people to discover other podcasts. Yes. Fantastic. Check out the Podfix Network. Podfixnetwork.com. At Podfix on Twitter. Official underscore Podfix on the gram. Plus, check out Podfix Presents, wherever fine podcasts are found. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved. And I think the Fish Nerds are joining that network. I've been in talks with them for the last few weeks and I like them. So I think we're going to join up and help, help them help us promote ourselves a little more. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it should be fun. All right. Now, most important part of the show here. We're ready for this, Josh? Let's do it. Let's do this. All right. News, news, news. 
Everybody loves a fish in the news. And that is Diana's bath salts uh, making that for us. And uh, this first part isn't really a news story. It's not like an article anywhere. But uh, a few years ago, back in 2011, back at the birth of the fish nerds, we were born out of a quest to catch and eat every kind of freshwater fish in New Hampshire. And this just in, in 2020, New Hampshire, uh, we found green sunfish. It's a big deal. Dun, dun, dun. I know it's a big deal, <laughs> and I'm not surprised. It was found in the in the Merrimack River, and um, I am not surprised by this at all. But um, we didn't have them here uh, in 2011. So, in in California, is moving fish around a popular thing? Um, it was. It's you know, there's a, a lot of heavy regulations to try and prevent it, but there's so many people here that it, it definitely still happens. Yeah. And uh, they found this through an electrofishing survey, and they were alerted to the species of fish because anglers have been reporting catching the green sunfish in the area. And uh, so they went out and shocked the water, and sure enough, there they were. So that's it. They found They're pretty interesting-looking specimens, too. I was looking at the photos. And yeah, cool. They, they look a little different than the sunfish around here and even back in Louisiana. Um, I mean, They're obviously... Not- Green they're, not great, they're not great pictures. <laughs> yeah, but, but they have a really cool looking fish. But I'm I'm not surprised that they're there, given how common they are in like even pond stocking program mm-hmm. from commercial companies. I mean, hybrid hybrids of blue and green bluegill and green sunfish are you know that's a that's a pretty well known stocking equation, I guess. I so, guess so. Made I, it up there. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, they 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 haven't. They haven't, I mean, they stocked, New Hampshire was, was bass, as they say, back in the 1890s. And that's when most of our sunfish species were brought up. That's when we saw crappies and bluegills and, and largemouth bass and smallmouth bass and, uh, you know, pumpkin seeds and all those guys are brought up. And this, so, so to have a new species here is interesting because I can't see any value to someone thinking, oh, you know what we need in New Hampshire? Green sunfish. Yeah. Uh, my, my bet is it was brought up as bait. Is someone had a you know in Massachusetts where they do have green green sunfish? Someone put a bait trap out and trapped a bunch in, threw them in their bait bucket, and they got up here that way. Yeah, I mean that makes and sense. I, from what I remember, research wise, they they're one of the sunfish that does best in like streams and rivers and flowing water versus mm-hmm. a lot of. So I'm not surprised that you found them in the Merrimack there. Yeah, I didn't find them. I would like now. I have to find one and eat it and add it to my list. The Royal of New Hampshire, you. Yeah, I am as king of New Hampshire. I will tell you, I wasn't the one. It's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and another story I want to talk about, and I'm not going to talk about green sunfish much because I don't know much about them, but I do want to talk about. Uh, this is from CBC Canada News from New Brunswick, Canada, and this is. Mm-hmm. Do you do fish tournaments? Uh, like, do I participate in them? No. Yeah. No, me either. I don't. We've organized some special, special needs kids fishing derbies, but mm-hmm. it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty different from, you know, the types of things like in this story. Yeah. All right. So this, the, the headline is fishing tournament organizer find after nearly 200 fish found in a dumpster. Um, uh, so yeah, that's, the, <laughs> that's the headline. A fishing tournament organizer and TV personality has brought his business to New Brunswick after being fined $9,000 and losing his Ontario fishing license for not reporting nearly 200 dead bass he threw in a dumpster. That's, in, that's a lot of bass. 
And and not only a lot of bass, it was trophy bass. Yeah, big ones. Broodstock because yeah. it was what they were weighing for tournaments. It was it was pretty disgusting to see, actually. Yeah, it's really gross. Ben Wu was convicted of failing to abide by the terms and conditions of the license allowing the tournament organizers to transport fish to be weighed and measured before they returned to live returned to water alive. After the incident, Wu relocated. He moved where he continued to organize fishing tournaments under the name B1 Fishing, including two partnerships with the city of Fredericton. So he kept doing it after that. He didn't learn. <laughs> Not surprised. I mean, if you can just leave town and, you know, yeah. sell snake oil somewhere else, that's what you do. Yeah. And, and it's interestingly, is, is, so these are bass tournaments. And normally the way bass tournaments work, and bass guys like to keep their bass alive. They want to catch them over and over again. And the, normally the way that works is they put all the bass in the live well, they bring them in to weigh them in, and they drop them back. They, they're, they're supposed to bring them back to the spot where they caught them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this case, um, they were keeping it all in a big tank, and in the tank they were kept, um, they died in the tank. Yeah, the, that was the part that was frustrating, was that they, you know, he probably didn't, obviously he didn't mean for this to happen. It mm-hmm. said he kind of tried to cover it up according to the article and they were sort of hiding in the dead fish in the bushes and things like that. But it, it's sad that the, the key, the key problem here was he may be a good fisherman, but he's not a good aquarist. And oh. <laughs> there's some pretty easy steps that he could have taken even as more of a fisherman who's not in the keeping fish alive that, that he just did not. And that was, that was pretty frustrating to hear. Yeah. Now they, they according to both Tufts and Borm, which are two, biologists, the fish died as a result of a lack of oxygen and inadequate water temperatures in the holding tank they were being placed into being weighed. So they were put in a, in a big tank of hot water. <laughs> yeah. And, and fish don't do well with that. Now, I don't fish tournaments usually. I do, I do participate in a um, veterans bass tournament called the um, New England's Paralyzed Veterans Association, NEPVA, well, maybe once every couple of years where I'll drive the boat and let people catch bass you know, and they're all released alive. But um, the big, in New Hampshire, the big tournaments are all catch and kill tournaments. And most big ice fishing tournaments are catch and kill tournaments. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think any of those are good ideas. <laughs> I mean, the, <laughs> the, idea, the idea that you're going to go out and collect all the biggest, you know, most robust examples yeah. of the species and then show them off and let them go or show them off and kill them, I don't get it. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense in my brain at all. Yeah, the, the only catch and kill... The only catch and kill I find useful or that I've seen that seems to have some kind of value is like the ones where it's the big, it's the big rallies to take out uh, Asian carp and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And I see that they do it in New Hampshire. They do it with, um, with rock bass. There's Mm -hmm. a big rock bass catch and kill tournament, um, but they just catch them and they kill them and then they just throw them up, you know, into fertilizer or whatever. And even that bothers me because I'm like, you know, yeah. why don't you have a giant fish fry, have a party and feed each other, mm-hmm. learn that these fish are actual food items, not just, you know, they're alive, you killed and mostly eat it anyway. So yeah. tournaments, I'm, I'm also, I'm squishy on tournaments. I get the, the why you might want to win money for catching a fish. But you know, what's funny. It's 2020, right? We have the technology <laughs> now to catch and release a fish within a few minutes and measure and weigh it without killing it yeah like there's there's absolutely no reason to put a fish in a tank and drive it around a lake anymore to me i mean like that to me is bizarre that we, we still are doing that 
And even if you do, I mean, there's, you know, like I said, there was a lot of easy steps that this guy missed that he could have done. I mean, cause I, for my job, I collect fish in the wild and have to keep them alive sometimes all day doing sampling and sure. then back to the aquarium and, you know, temperatures for starters. I mean, he, he said, you know, temperature was too high. It probably wasn't even necessarily warm. It just doesn't take much temperature rate, uh, temperature rise to, to reduce the oxygen in the water. So now four or five degrees is a huge difference to a fish. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're going to do fishing like that and, and hold these bass in a tank or even in your live well, I mean, ice, you need ice, but you also need dechlor because the ice has, um, you know, it's frozen. So it's got chlorine in it. Mm-hmm. That'll kill the fish once it thaws. So it's not as simple as. Oh, I'm going to tell you a funny side story. So a bunch of year, years ago, Dave Kellum and I used to work at the Amoscake Fishways, which is a fish ladder in Manchester. And every year we do an event called Sea Lamprey Appreciation Day. We'd have live touch tank of sea lampreys. And in order to handle the lampreys, because it was a touch tank, you could hold, hold these fish. But in order to hold them, you had to chill them down with ice. But we didn't want to chill them down with chlorinated ice. And the only place in the city of Manchester that had ice that didn't have chlorine in it was a local strip club. So on the day of lamprey day, we had to drive back and forth to a strip club and get ice to put on our lampreys. How did, how did you approach the strip club with this problem? <laughs> well, Dave did it and he didn't tell me, but I, I guess he must've known them well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dave. Oh, Dave. Yeah. So, you know, don't be afraid to approach your local strip club if you need ice that's not chlorinated. Yeah. Well, if you, if you have, you know, just ba- just a bag of ice, there's actually a really cool product I use. Um, that's by a microbiologist down in Texas and he made it specifically for uh, bass tournaments and he's got a whole line of, of products now, but it's called please release me. <laughs> and it's basically an additive you put in the live well to there's a, one aspect of it sort of calms the fish down and then another one kind of replenishes the slime coat. And it also has a dechlor in it so that when you put ice in there, you're not killing the fish. And he has those products specifically for different bait fish and saltwater fish as well. But that's one that, that I just kind of came across through research and I use it now, even in my scientific collection, it's like a really cool little, um, little fishing hack for keeping those fish alive. And even if like, if you're using live bait for catfish or something, you know, it's a great little additive. Oh yeah. Now for, if you're using bait fish too, there's a product that I found in New Hampshire called finer shiner. It's by the same people. Is it the same people who make this? Yes, I think so. I think finer shiner might be by them too. It's probably the same kind of chemical. I could be off, but I I know he's got like each product's got the fish that they're targeting's name in it. (laughs) So perfect. As long as it rhymes, you know it's quality. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now I recall using uh, David Kellum and I back in the day. Back in the day, we had a minnow tank with finer shiner in it, and we had gutted some minnows that we were going to eat, some uh, common shiners. And after they were gutted and dead, we had their heart out and everything, we put them back in the bucket of finer shiner, and they kept swimming for like <laughs> minutes. Yeah. So we decided not to eat those fish. <laughs> probably a good call yeah probably smart i have no idea it was in that zombie water but it was uh, definitely that now uh, anyway so anyway it's 2020 i i think it's time for somebody to come up with a fishing tournament that doesn't require 
moving fish around so much or killing fish. I think it's, it's a bizarre thing to me. That's my point. <laughs> yeah. Look to the kayak fishermen. Yeah. Cause they do that. Don't they? Yeah. I think a lot of the kayak tournaments I've, I've really gotten, I'll have to do a, a fish guy follows, but I got into a guy, um, uh, kayak catfish and he does yeah. a lot of tournaments and yeah, they don't weigh, they only measure, I think. Sure. You don't need to weigh a fish. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think also too, I was thinking about this, like there's, there's no talent in catching a, you know, a, a trophy fish versus a small fish. In, in almost every case, it's that fish ate <laughs> and you just happen <laughs> to be the one reeling it in. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't give a lot of credit to fishers who catch giant fish all the time. I'm like, well, you, you're in the right place or you put the time in, but it's not, you can't control who, who bites your hook. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, but that said, I like catching trophy sized fish, so I I get it. Uh, but even though with 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 catching state records, like when Dave and I caught the state record challenge catfish in New Hampshire, you know, you catch this giant fish and you want credit for catching the biggest one ever, anyone's ever seen, but the only way to get credit for it is to kill it, and it just yeah. it's so bizarre to me. Mm-hmm. That's the only way to get credit. You got to ca- catch it, kill it, and weigh it in and get a biologist to check it out. And it's, it's backwards. It, it seems so archaic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that is fish in the news. I'm not going to do this story because I'm, I'm out of time. So I'm going to hit this button. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody loves their fish in the news. Everybody loves the fish in the news, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't love it? So that's it. You've listened to a couple of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. Big fat thanks to fish guy, Josh, for co-hosting this week. Josh, good to hear you again. Special thanks to Wally Pleasant and Diane's Bath Salts for the fishing theme music and the news. And giant thanks to Jan and the Morons for the fish guy follows music in this week's show. And until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached. Swim against the current every chance you get. You did it. You made a podcast. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds. It's a podcast. It's a podcast. Just for the halibut. Fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam, fish nerds. Fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. All right, Josh, congratulations. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Let me push stop here.